When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, tech fans, and welcome into the latest Tech Sideline podcast, originating from TSL's High Tech Studios and the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. I'm your host, Evan Hughes, pleased to be joined this week by Virginia Tech, or excuse me, Tech Sideline Managing Editor Chris Coleman, and the head honcho is back. Will Stewart was uh, in Richmond last week, but good to have you back in your normal seat, Will. Good to see you. Yeah, it's good to be back. I'm experiencing a little deja vu. <laughs> Chris Coleman, we had a fun podcast last week with Corey. Good to see uh, you to my right as always. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Glad to be here. And we have a uh, we have a lot to talk about uh, today. We I think it might be a record on Tech Sideline, by the way, for the most sports we will discuss. We're planning to get to five sports, football, men's basketball, wrestling, baseball, and softball. And uh, there's just a lot going on in Virginia Tech Athletics. I was saying just before we went on the air, I feel like in the last week, I know everyone will want to talk about the UVA game, but for the most part, if you look on the, the grand scheme of things across all sports, it's been a really good week for Virginia Tech Athletics. Yeah, uh, has lacrosse played yet? They did. They won yesterday against Cincinnati 19-8. to So Tech's got a lot of programs that are doing well right now. Baseball's undefeated, right? 4-0. Softball's like 30-0 or something like that. 9-0. <laughs> I thought it was 10-0. No, the, the, that'll that'll tie the program record if they ah, get ten and zero okay. tomorrow. That's right. I, I wrote that. You think and who do they play tomorrow? They play. Um, I don't quote me. I believe somebody they should beat. Correct. Correct. Actually, I read a preview of it on the, on our Olympic Sports Board. VT Chip was talking about softball. He knows it inside and out. And I don't remember who the next opponent is, but their record's a little deceptive because all their losses have been to, to, to good great. Teams. And I believe that's South Florida. He's talking about. Yeah. They're the ones who's hosting that tournament. Uh, but yeah, softball will open up with tomorrow against Texas State, and that is Friday. Again, we are recording on Thursday, February twenty-first, around two o'clock. Thanks so much for watching on Facebook Live. Thanks so much for listening on SoundCloud or however you get your podcast. Of course, this week and every week, the TSL podcast is. Proudly presented by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. From their offices in Blacksburg and Roanoke, the Fisher Law Firm handles cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. To date, the firm has defended more than 30,000 people charged with moving violations. For free consultation, call anytime, day or evening, toll free at 1-800-680-7031. Again, that's 1-800-680-7031 or email them at info at fisherlegal.com. Before we jump into things, I think it's nice because we have so many tech fans and a lot of people who are on our boards are tech alums. They don't, they're not in Blacksburg, but I guess they know it is called Bleaksville, as uh, CC just referred to. Uh, give us a little, uh, let's go, go over to our impromptu weatherman, Will Stewart. What's the weather been looking like this past week in Blacksburg? It's been, uh, it's been pretty crazy. It's been weird because it uh, snowed a fair amount. What's today? Thursday? It snowed a fair amount like Tuesday night into Wednesday, but it didn't really stick. Like, I didn't have to shovel my driveway. It was just enough to get everybody out of school. And today it's over 50, right? I so there's snow outside, but it's nice and warm. I didn't even wear a jacket to launch. It, yeah, it's borderline <laughs> yeah. shorts weather almost. I mean, yeah. so anyways. It's, Might have uh, to drop the top on the Miata. 
Oh. Although I've already, got, I've already gotten my February day in. It's been a really mild February, which is pretty cool because I'm getting to where I hate winter. So, you know, February's almost over. Again, uh, we've got a lot to talk about today on the Tech Sideline Podcast. Evan Hughes, Will Stewart, Chris Coleman. We're going to start with football in just a moment. I want to remind our viewers on Facebook Live to start dropping those questions. Whatever sport, we'll get to it at some point in the podcast. And we begin with football in the offseason uh, and a little bit of change on the football coaching staff as Justin Hamilton on Monday was promoted to safeties coach uh, for Virginia Tech. He spent the past year as the director of player development. And, of course, he was a player for Frank Beamer and the Hokies back in his playing day. So he comes home, even though he's been here, uh, to Blacksburg on the coaching staff. And he will replace Tyrone Nix, who's going back to Ole Miss to coach with his brother. So I'll start with you on this, Chris. What do you make of this hiring uh, and Coach Nix going back to the Rebels? Well, with regards to Nix going back to Ole Miss, I mean, that's a kind of a no-brainer for him. He uh, gets to coach with his brother. He's from the state of Mississippi. Uh, he'll probably get paid more at Ole Miss. Uh, so it just to SEC me, network, baby. That's right. And, Those uh, dollars are flowing in. Yep. So John me, Swafford. <laughs> it was a no-brainer uh, <laughs> for him to, to make that move. Um, I think he got a little bit of a bad rap here. Uh, he did not come into Virginia Tech until after spring practice. And if you're a new coach and you don't know the system, spring practice is as important for you as a player. Um, so, so he came in, he got hired in June, and then started a crash course on the Virginia Tech defense without getting to coach any of his players until August. And then his best player, Mook Reynolds, got kicked off the team. And then his second best player, Divine Diablo, got hurt. So it was just never set up for him to have a successful season from the beginning because of all of that. Um, that being said, I'm not all torn up about him leaving either. How long was he here? Was it like seven months, maybe? Whatever, from June to yeah, February. Yeah, seven or eight months, yeah. yeah. So, so not very long. I uh, doubt he bought a house or anything like that. <laughs> uh, I'm not torn up about him leaving because while I think he got a bad rap, I, 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 did, I, didn't, I don't see the evidence either that he's – an excellent coach. I believe the phrase you're looking for is he did not distinguish himself while he was He did here. not distinguish himself while he was here. So to me, I don't think he's a bad coach. I don't think he's a great coach. It was still one of those things. The jury's still out. Not enough information uh, because of uh, the situation he was in in his first year, which would have been unfair to anybody. Um, I like Justin Hamilton fine. Um, I think – I know everybody wants a flash hire sometimes. Uh, like there's some people like you know D'Angelo Hall was trying to get the Redskins DB job and the Maryland defensive back coaching job and uh, some people wanted him to get hired at Virginia Tech I would much rather hire Justin Hamilton because Justin Hamilton has coached (laughs) he's recruited he said how much of his resume do you remember off the top of your head all of it Um, okay go ahead (laughs) all right so he started off at UVA wise where he was a strength and conditioning coach, and then he was a defensive coordinator. So he had to run his own defense at UVA-wise at a very small school. And then he went to VMI, where he was a where he was an outside linebackers coach, and I believe he's coached inside linebackers You are well. spot on. Wow. There, there we go. Uh, and he was also a uh, co-special teams coordinator. So, he's, so he has experience coaching multiple positions. He sees things from a defensive coordinator's view because of his experience there and he has experience recruiting and he has experience recruiting 
to schools where it's difficult to recruit to the the schools that aren't close to a whole bunch of uh, big areas, quite frankly. So uh, from a location standpoint, Wise, Lexington, Blacksburg, pretty darn similar. Uh, Obviously, Virginia Tech is a much, much bigger school and and much – much better football school than those, but uh, you still, when you're recruiting for Virginia Tech, you're going to go up against schools that have more resources. And I think it's important to hire coaches who have experience recruiting against schools that have more resources and have more advantages. So I, I think hiring Justin Hamilton, while it might not be a flash hire, he understands the culture, he understands the defense, when he played in the NFL, he, um, the year he played for the Browns, he played in the Nick Saban defense with Robie, Romeo Cornell as, as their coach that year, or their defensive coordinator, I forget which. Um, but So I think he's got a variety of experience. Uh, um, he's the type of recruiter we need, in my opinion. Um, I think he will bring experience. He's coached in a 3-4. He's coached in a 4-3 and when he was at UVA Wise, he basically employed a 4-2-5. So, I think he's going to bring, I know he's a young guy and hasn't coached at big schools, but I think he's going to bring in more experience than meets the eye. And I do think he's the type of recruiter that Virginia Tech needs, a guy that's used to working against the odds. Well, and one thing too, Will, is that, again, he played here. He was here throughout some of the glory years of Virginia Tech. And, you know, you go back to his senior year in 05, 35 tackles, two and a half for loss, three interceptions, helped the Hokies to its second consecutive appearance in the ACC title game, went over Louisville in the 06 Gator Bowl. So he not only is able to recruit, as you said, kind of against the odds, some schools, he gets Blacksburg. He gets what Virginia Tech's all about. Yeah, he understands the culture. And, you know, I, I don't know Justin very well. I know him. If we bump into each other, we'll say hi and talk because he goes way back for me. Um, we used to – the first subscription content we did on TechSideline.com was a, was a monthly thing we did in PDF form called the TSL Extra. And I did a feature on him when he was a committed recruit before he'd actually come to Virginia Tech. And he's from Clintwood, Virginia, small town, small school. So I got to know him and his mom, you know, during, during that time period uh, – interviewing both of them and, and talking to both of them. And he was, uh, if, if you remember this name, uh, Will Hunt, a quarterback who came out of uh, Arkansas. That Springdale dog, Will Hunt. That dog, Will Hunt, came out of uh, Springdale High School in Arkansas. And uh, Justin and Will came in in the same class, became great friends. You know, so Justin has, has a he has friends in this area. He understands not the area, but he had friends at school. He had a great time when he was at Tech. He was a willing guy who moved from position to position to position to position to position. <laughs> you know, he was a guy that moved around a lot. And, you know, I just think that he gets the culture and he has an affection for the school and the football program. And that's, that's not the be-all, end-all, but, you know, it's valuable. And how much of it, Chris, too, is important that Coach Fuente did not have to go outside and bring someone in you have somebody who understands not only again from his playing days but he understands the the culture that coach Fuente is trying to build well on paper that's valuable um now I, I I think a lot of people might understand the culture that doesn't mean they can coach <laughs> uh so uh I I think um you know it, it's 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 not a 100% for sure great hire he's never coached at this level 
Um, but everybody has to start somewhere, right? And, and like I said, I like him for all the reasons I, I went over before. And, and I think it does help that he has been on the staff for a year. So, and the defense has changed since he was a player here. The scheme has changed slightly. Uh, you know, they don't play uh, weak side and strong side defensive end anymore or boundary or field cornerback. Um, I, I think uh, so, so – and they don't – I mean, this past year they were almost exclusively man coverage also with very little zone blitzing and things like that, which were staples of Virginia Tech's defense in the past. So the scheme had changed since he was last year. So everybody's saying, oh, he knows Bud's system. No, he didn't know, he didn't know the current Virginia Tech system as, as well. He knew, knew the basic concepts. So it was important that he come in and get that year as basically an assistance assistant so he could relearn the defense and learn what's changed and everything like that before he was ready to, to take over the, the, the job as a, as a full-time guy. You know, and, and there are certain truisms about coaching, you know, no matter what level you're coaching at. You, you try to find out what your players' strengths and weaknesses are. You analyze the other team, figure out what their strengths and weaknesses are. You analyze the schemes, and you cr- try to create favorable matchups. You know, and, and this is true whether you're coaching a high school football team or whether you're coaching in the NFL, you know, and and I, I like his experience as a defensive coordinator because that tells me he's looked at the whole picture, you know, mm-hmm. and he has coached at uh, s- smaller schools with fewer resources, you know, so uh, that means he's had to do more. So you got to like those aspects of it. Well, not only does every coach have to get their start, as you said, but that he's had success mm-hmm. in the other roles, so he has the credentials to, to get that start. Yeah, you're right. Uh Wanted me to go to a question? Yeah, here. absolutely. It's, it's, yeah, it's, feel it's, free to on, it's on topic from Eric Fisher. Do you have any preference on whether a coach used to be a former Hokie player or not, new blood or, tr- or traditions? I don't have a preference personally. Uh, I want him to be qualified. Uh, no, if I, if I if I thought if I liked this guy equally, if I like Coach A and Coach B were the same in my eyes, and one of them was a Tech grad, I would hire the Tech grad. But I'm always going to go with the guy who I think is a better is the better hire. Um, to me, um, I, I do think going back and hiring alums, and I know Tech fans are really obsessed with that because of uh, the career Frank Beamer had. And it, Tech fans it, may not be unique in that aspect. They might not be unique in that aspect. We don't know. We hang out on Tech message boards all day. <laughs> uh, now I will say this: um, you know, we'll see how Dana Holgerson does at, at Houston. But uh, remember when Clyde Drexler went back to Houston yeah. and wrecked their program? <laughs> all right. And do you think so? Do you think? Houston fans view Clyde Drexler and through the same lens now, now that he wrecked their basketball program. I think as, time, they, as they did when he was a great player. I'm, I'm so I'm so when you hire an alum, yeah. it could be a risk if he turns out to be a bad hire. Yeah, like like I, if I was a coach, like I really love Virginia Tech and everything, right? And so part of me would be like, yeah, I really want to go coach Virginia Tech. But, you know, what if I went back and screwed it up and half the fan base hated me because well, of it? Well, uh, and you don't have that same relationship anymore. And think about, too, and I was just thinking about how Coach Fuente, you know, really it seems like he re- he really has bought in to the tradition of Virginia Tech football in many ways by keeping Bud Foster and mm-hmm. Charlie Wise, by hiring Hokie alums that have, like, like Justin Hamilton here. But it puts – I'm thinking about it, too, in a unique perspective to where him or even Bud Foster, who might have coached some of these guys, let's say it doesn't work out – the position to potentially maybe have to ever let some of them go. Right. That's a tough 
no, no, that's a tough situation for anybody. I, I don't think this is going to happen. Correct. I want to say, yeah. I don't think this is going to happen. I'm, but I'm let, like, let's, yeah. let's pretend for a second that Justin Hamilton turned out to be horrible at his job and was so bad by the end of the season that it was clear that Virginia Tech needed to get rid of him. Bud Foster has to fire his former player, who he has a great relationship with. So sometimes it, it's, it's not good to, to let the emotions – Cloud your, Cloud your judgment of who you should right. hire. And I want to make sure, playing a theoretical game. I, right, yes. right. I don't think that's going to happen yes, at all. Yes. I think Justin Hamilton's I'm a good coach. I'm talking about any hire that they were to bring back an alum. Correct. Or, or, or right. it could be anywhere. Virginia, if they bring back Heath Miller to coach tight ends and he doesn't work. <laughs> I mean, sure. just the theoretical, that it's a tough position it, it, for a coach to be in. It really is. Hey, the biggest thing I asked of Justin Hamilton is recruit. You know, I mean, these, these days, uh, you know, I think, and you guys can tell me whether or not you agree with this, positions, I don't think individual positions are all that hard to coach. It's preferable if you played them. If you're going to coach wide receivers, it's preferable if you played wide receiver. But when you are coaching an individual position, to me it becomes important that you be a competent to good to great recruiter. That's where you can really add value to a staff. Mm -hmm. We can go get another safeties coach or another corners coach but I'd really like to have a guy who can really recruit to my school. You know, like Brian Mitchell was a great coach when Greg Stroman and Adonis Alexander and Brandon Faison, three NFL players, were his cornerbacks, right? Had great cornerback play. And then this past year, he had a freshman coming off a torn ACL who had never played defense before. Much worse coach then, yeah. right? So, I mean, and, and it matters these days because Bud isn't able to scheme guys up like he used to. I mean, this past season was just – like I said, very little zone. One of the staples of Bud Foster's defense through the years has been zone blitzing, and Tech couldn't do it because they couldn't play zone because nobody could play zone. So you got these guys, and they're mostly playing man coverage. And man coverage, you know, yeah, you can teach technique and, and make your guys better and, and everything like that, of course, but man coverage, you, you got there's got to there's a certain physical talent that you have to have to be a really good man coverage guy so so yeah i mean to me recruiting is is extremely important and talking about the new staff changes on the virginia tech football team here on the tech sideline podcast evan hughes will stewart chris coleman shifting gears from coach hamilton one thing that we did not talk about officially on the podcast we knew it was speculation at the time was the hiring of coach williams as the new receivers coach um, for virginia tech that's been news for a couple of weeks now, but kind of revisiting that quickly, your thoughts on the hire replacing Coach Wiggins, who's at Alabama. I uh, I like it. Um, I know there's a – I know your your general train of thought is you, you want to hire a coach, a proven recruiter. Oh, let's go get somebody from the SEC, blah, blah, blah. SEC coaches have a lot more tools to work with. And I use the word tools loosely. Some of those tools are in the bag. <laughs> right. They're not in a box. They have a lot more tools to work with than, uh, <laughs> than Virginia Tech coaches, right? Yeah, I cracked myself um, up. <laughs> so, so, so when Virginia Tech goes out and hires someone with a lot of SEC experience and then that person comes to Virginia Tech, okay, yeah, they might have been able to sell SEC schools with – with all these extra facilities or, 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 you know, whatever else SEC schools offer that most ACC schools can't. So they can't recruit to Virginia Tech because they, they, they just can't adapt. They don't have as many advantages. So, like I said, recruiting Justin uh, Hamilton to coach your safeties, and now you've got a guy who understands what it's like to recruit 
at an underdog school, whereas I, I'm not sure Nick's really understood that because he was, he was an SEC guy. Um, I, I think it's the same thing with Jafar Williams, who has coached at uh, Maryland, and he's coached at Rutgers. Um, so I, I, think it's, uh, I think he's a guy who knows what it's like to have to fight and work really, really, really hard on the recruiting trail as opposed to letting that building you're sitting in recruit players for you. Or the booster network. Or whatever, yeah. A um, local car dealer. <laughs> and Will, Will is hitting it hard. Yeah, if you're, you're not getting help from them, you know, you got to stand on your own merits. And it was a quick hire from Coach Wente, too, about Coach Williams. You could tell that he had done his homework. And, and lo- looking at what he has done, I mean, you're, you're 100% right. And one thing that Coach Wente said is that he has really built strong relationships across the Virginia Tech recruiting region. To me, it seems like a perfect fit, Will. Uh, yeah, I don't know that I can add a whole lot to that. Um, you know, Chris is uh, much more up-to-date on this stuff. Um, do you have, the, the one thing I wonder is, are there any, and Chris, you might have an idea of this, um, are there any recruits who uh, Holman Wiggins was, was in on that he has to pass off to Jafar Williams? Oh, uh, yeah, uh, every single wide receiver we were recruiting. <laughs> I mean, F- Fuente said it. He said assistant coaches are responsible for recruiting their positions. Yeah. So, all right, yeah, you've still got the area coach. Like Charlie Wiles will establish the high school relations in Greensboro, for example. But it was up to Holman Wiggins and, and Fu and Cornelson to a certain extent to, to go in there and close the deal on Trey Turner. Um, so the, the, it's kind of a you set them up, I'll knock them down type thing. It, it'll be interesting to see them because if, if there's one position for Virginia Tech has recruited really well. Yeah, it's wide it's, receiver. It's wide receiver and, yeah. and they got a commitment. And will, will that continue? They got a commitment, and I've already forgotten the kid's name. He's from South Carolina. Um, he uh, – Jalen, Jalen Hyatt, right? Yes. Yeah, Hyatt committed a couple of weeks ago. He's a wide receiver from South Carolina. And, you know, he was obviously, I believe it was probably Shebist who was his area recruiter, and uh, or maybe Wiles. But um, Holman Wiggins was his main recruiter, his wide receiver Hyatt coach. Was probably the one I was actually thinking uh, about. Hi- I uh, right. probably read an and article where he had talked about Coach Wiggins. And, and, and Hyatt liked Wiggins a lot. So he wanted to come on his visit and meet meet Jafar Williams to make sure Virginia Tech was still the place he wanted to be. So when he met Jafar Williams, they hit it off well enough, I guess. He liked Jafar Williams, so he committed. Um, Keandre Lambert is another receiver from uh, the Tidewater area that Virginia Tech led for at one time. Uh, but since they led, Clemson has offered, and... Holman I mean, Wiggins is left. UNC's gotten involved, right? Uh, probably. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so, yeah, so it's uh, that's going to come down to you know maybe how much Clemson wants him or, or not. Um, but I, I think we'll be fine there. I am curious because we had this conversation when Mac Brown was hired a couple months ago about what we thought of it, and we have seen just I, you got to correct me on this at least one collision on the recruiting trail. That was Eugene Asante between Tech and North mm-hmm. Carolina. Do you think we're going to start seeing more? Because Tech has tried to go to North Carolina. Is, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, but, but isn't there a kid from the state of Virginia that Tech was in good with for either the next or, or recruiting class after that who's already committed to UNC staff? Is that ringing a bell? No. I need to follow this. Uh, oh, uh, I mean, for I'm see, I'm still working on 2019 scouting reports. I've not moved ahead <laughs> to 2020. Yeah, gotcha. And what we're seeing, you know, and we see this through Twitter, is 
the offers are just going out a mile a minute. Yeah, you know, for North Carolina or for, 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 for everybody. Yeah. So yeah. it's hard to get a grip on exactly so what's going who they're on. serious with. I think I think you're talking about like a linebacker from the Richmond area. That rings a bell. Yeah. And from what I hear, it was like Tech was lukewarm on him. Okay. Like he's got a Tech offer. Who knows? Okay. Uh, gotcha. Right. Definitely something to keep an eye on for sure. And then real quick, wrapping up the discussion, uh, Tech Sideline Podcast talking about the uh, Virginia Tech staff changes, hirings, and people departing. Uh, Alabama, and you're going to need – I'm going to need your help pronouncing his name. Uh, Jonathan Galante. Galante, I believe is how you uh, pronounce it. Is been hired as a quality control staffer to assist with special teams mm-hmm. with a Crimson Tide. Yeah. What, what more can you tell us on that? What do uh, you think? It's basically what he was doing at Virginia Tech, I think. Um He's one of those walk-on guys and that, you know, he made it as far as he did with his mind, you know, not because he was exceptionally talented. And those are the type of guys that generally become good coaches. I mean, you know, Jack Tyler's on the staff now. Cody Grimm was on the staff, and now he's on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers staff. I mean, a lot of times you don't see the star players going back and coaching, right? Because Maybe they were star players because they were great physical talents more so than than they thought about the nuances of the game and and everything but guys like Galante a lot of them go on to become uh really really good coaches I mean Frank Beamer Frank Beamer wasn't a great talent right he got as far as he as (laughs) he did by his own admission he always says uh I I was short but I made up for it by being slow (laughs) yeah uh so I, I think Galante you know he's a he's a talented coach uh and you know Alabama has so many support staff positions uh, Alabama and Clemson, I guess, probably have more support staff than anybody in the country, and it I'm helps. I'm not sure you can even count them anymore. I, yeah, know? I wouldn't even know There how was to a count time them. where I remember writing an article, I think after Clemson made their first national championship game appearance three or four years ago, where I wrote an article, and I went and I looked at Alabama's list of staff and Clemson's list of staff, and I'm not sure these days that they're even all listed on their websites anymore. Yeah, I agree. I mean, from the numbers I've read in articles and then what you see when you look on their website, I don't even think they're all listed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but honestly, it's very similar to Virginia Tech basketball. I mean, buzz. I mean, you go look at the team picture of Virginia Tech basketball. There's twice as many suits as there are players. Um, and, and, you know, Virginia Tech just hired in the offseason before this season, they hired away an analytics video guy from the Chicago Bulls. I mean, so Buzz Williams takes his analytics and his advanced scouting very, very seriously, and he has a huge staff. And I think it helps Tech win basketball games. And I to, just like I think it helps Clemson and Alabama win football games. Very cool to see how analytics has taken shape, not just in baseball, it's not just Moneyball, it's really in all sports now, in aspects where yeah, numbers can yeah, really... Uh, Moneyball really got it started, and it's kind of, uh, kind of uh, gone expanded from there so to speak any questions left before we move on yeah uh john asks burmeister or hooker now he's talking about uh hendon hooker potentially withdrawing his name from the transfer portal yeah that rumor's starting to make the rounds. right and uh burmeister whose name i forget first name i, I can't remember his first name starts with a b i believe okay he's, he's, a he's oregon quarterback he's a transfer. transfer from oregon didn't have particularly great numbers at oregon i haven't looked at, at him Burmeister at all, to be honest with you. Braxton Burmeister. Braxton Burmeister. I have not looked at any film on him uh, or done any research except to know that he was was originally a four-star recruit out of high school. I I, I know this. Whatever quarterback plays for Justin Fuente generally puts up better numbers than his overall talent level would allow him to put up. Like Ryan Willis probably threw two or three as many interceptions – 
two or three times as many interceptions as touchdowns at Kansas. Then he comes to Virginia Tech and really – The numbers are good. Yeah, the numbers are good. The numbers are there. You know, he might not be able to execute every single thing in the offense, but the numbers are there. And quite frankly, a third of his interceptions weren't his fault. So – I think from those two guys right there, I don't have a preference. So what's the question, one or the other? Yeah. I don't know. You'd have to sit and watch film on the, on the yeah, Burmeister kid. It's, it's, it's not just film. It's it's like, honestly, I, th- if I, I think if, if Hendon Hooker comes back, he'll just he'll just leave again. Hmm. Uh, I mean, when he graduates. As a graduate transfer. As a graduate transfer. Yeah. Right. That, that's – that that's something that uh, I mean transfers have always been there. I think the portals just made them more visible. Right. Uh, Burmeister apparently has family that attended Virginia Tech, so there is a like he's going. Maybe his, I don't know if his dad or his grandfather or something yeah. like that went to Virginia Tech. So there's already a little bit of an emotional attachment there. Right. So he would be if he came in and did not win a starting job, he would be less likely to leave. He would be more likely to accept the role of a backup quarterback, in my opinion. So. That might, might might make me lean Burmeister, although I don't. He would not be eligible immediately, as far as I know. This this whole thing of guys going into the portal and then coming back out, you know, it, it's it's unique to each individual case. Um, the parent, so apparently, Deshaun McLeese went into the portal, came back out. Yeah, and Fuente and, was good with it, and that's all conversations, you know, between Fuente and and Deshaun's family, and and he knows how he's perceived amongst the players. Mm-hmm. It's all very complex, and we don't have a lot of visibility into it. Right, and uh, John also asked, do you advise Fuente to let Hendon Hooker back in or look for an upgrade somewhere? I, don't know. I, I would let him back in, personally. Mm-hmm. Even, even though, I mean, I, I know he, I said he's more likely to transfer uh, down the road after he graduates, but I, I think for this year, if you want a third-string quarterback, one who already knows the system, there he is. He's Hendon Hooker. If he wants well, back in, and one of the things, and I, and I don't know that Fuente and his staff think like this, but I think Frank and his staff used to think like this: maintaining, you know, uh, Hooker's from Greensboro, correct? Dudley High School, I think. That's correct. You know, Virginia Tech wants to recruit the state of North Carolina, and it's an important that you maintain good relations with players from areas that you want to continue to recruit. Um, I don't know how much of a factor that is in, in their ultimate decision making. Uh, somebody just texted me and said Hooker's staying. Oh yeah, so, so it's been announced. It looks like he's, he's <laughs> in he's, the middle of recording. In the, in the middle of recording the podcast. Awesome. So there you go. So how has it been announced though? Has Hooker himself announced it on Twitter? Yes. Okay. Uh, keep in mind, he put out a very nice, thoughtful statement on Twitter about three weeks ago, mm-hmm. entering the portal. Didn't it is, it's, it's a nice statement from him. Yeah, go well, read I'll, it. I'll go read, read it. it. Yeah. Uh, like to thank God for being with me through this process and helping me make the right decision. I am taking my name out of the transfer portal, and I truly believe it's uh, best to continue my career as a Hokie. I regret the time that I've missed with my teammates in preparation for spring ball. I apologize to them and my coaches if I appeared to have a lack of commitment in what we are trying to achieve here at Hokie Nation. Thank you so much to my Virginia Tech family for always supporting me throughout the decision-making process. Thank you to Coach Fuente and the coaching staff for believing in me and guiding me in the right direction. I, I was re- laughing I because Will, Will is putting his hands down, like bowing down to him. Um, 
I what, do, what do you think? I regret and I apologize. Wow. Yeah. What a nice statement. Those things are hard to say. Well, I'm telling you, a statement he put out a couple weeks ago, I mean, it was really heartfelt. It wasn't one of the normal statements you get that just, I mean, he really was sincere. Yeah. I love that. I'm, I'm 10 out of 10. I think that's a great <laughs> statement. Some other transfers are just keen on burning I don't want to name any names here. Some other transfers are apparently keen on burning as many bridges as, as possible on their way out the door through their actions on social media. So, you know, Hendon, for whatever happens, he's made a lot of things. Hendon handled himself well throughout the whole time. I'm, so I'm not, I don't have an issue. Let's see what the message boards are doing. Uh, as we, uh, <laughs> but, again, so that's the, uh, that's the breaking news of the podcast as we're recording. Hendon Hooker uh, coming back to um, – Coming back to Virginia Tech. Let's end the football discussion with this quickly. So wait a minute. Let me yeah, just sorry. say, yep, yep. I regret the first part of that discussion, and I apologize for it. <laughs> <laughs> now, we have another really good football question here from Eric okay, Carr. Okay, let's hear it from All Eric right. Carr. Okay. If you guys could, would you rearrange the defensive secondary, including whip linebacker, to make that group better? Uh, That's so a, you see, that comes from a Twitter thread the other yeah, day. Yeah, it that, does. That, that uh, Brendan Hill was involved yeah, in. Yeah, and, and I don't know that I necessarily agree with, with, with changing guys around. But I would at least take take uh, take a look at it. Um, I, I thought we Virginia Tech played better last year with Divine Diablo at Whip when he played Whip against Boston College. I thought Virginia Tech's defense was much better. Another thing that was suggested was moving Reggie Floyd closer to the line of scrimmage. Yeah, um, uh, I, but I that but that would be Whip. Uh, hmm. Uh, Okay. Right. Uh, there's only one spot. So, so yeah, we're butting heads here. Right. You and like Devon at whip, and yeah. Reggie would probably. Right. Be and I, I don't. I don't necessarily like Reggie on the wide side of the field. This past year, I wasn't a big fan of him on the short side of the field either. But, but the year I, before I watched, that, he played well. I watched a well. number of plays where Reggie just he was in position and just didn't make the play. Right. Yeah. Now there were a lot of other plays where he shot right in there, and did make a nice. Right. Play. Right. So, so it, it was odd to watch. But the other one that I I I really found interesting on that thread on Twitter was uh was excuse me I got distracted uh, <laughs> but uh, was talking about Quillen at free safety and. Uh, you know, Quillen, from a coverage standpoint, he, he's not – I wouldn't describe him as dynamic. I thought probably he was the most consistent guy we had Do you think he's year. one of Tech's best – better better open field tacklers? Yes. Because I thought so. Yes, and the discussion is, what uh, do you try him at free safety because of that? And the answer for me is, yes, I would try him at free safety. If you're moving – if you want to entertain the thought of getting Diablo closer to the line of scrimmage, then – then the question is who would play free safety and uh it's not R reggie floyd's not a free safety uh devin hunter is 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 not well he has a physical capability i think but uh you know he just uh, hasn't been able to pick up a position yet so yeah, you yeah. don't want to you don't want to put a guy you don't know what position the guy is he might be a man at, without a position anyway you can't put him in free safety which is the communication leader back there um i think D divine diablo does fine there but I also think that if you got a guy like Quill in there, uh, I think that could improve your, your tackling ability um, on the wide side of the field, uh, especially if, you know, Diablo up at, at whip and then Quillen behind him, that might make you better. And I, I don't know for a fact that you should do that because I don't, I don't necessarily know how Diablo would handle slot receivers, you know, with some of these spread teams. But, you know, when Virginia Tech plays Boston College and Virginia Tech plays Pitt, and I don't know what Miami's offense will look like <laughs> this year. But, 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 but when, uh, you know, when Virginia Tech – Yeah, neither, neither does he. <laughs> but, uh, 
you know, there, there are plenty of games on Virginia Tech's schedule. Um, you know, UVA, Zacchaeus is gone, right? He was a senior this past year. Correct. So I don't know if they're going to have a dynamic slot guy anymore. Uh, if you want to get a, a big run-stuffing whip linebacker up there to shut down that read option. I, I, so, yeah, I would be in favor of trying. That's what spring is for. Is is to is to get different looks at guys, right? Exactly. So, I, I would be in favor of that, and a lot of that would come down to, you know, would would Jeremy Webb be healthy? Uh, do you have enough depth at cornerback to move Quillen to free safety? But uh, and I don't know the answer to those questions, uh, but I am intrigued by the idea. Yes. All right, let's. Uh, I've got. You know, we spent thirty-five minutes on this, and I think the, the we originally uh, meant to be. The but I, I think <laughs> I think let's uh, let's uh, let's let's regroup because I I'm, I'm enjoying the football discussion. We'll we'll reshuffle as we're going here. I want to continue on with this because um, we are going to keep talking about transfers. One more thing, but a quick reminder, of course, as always, TSL Podcast proudly presented by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm. Give them a call anytime. Day or evening, toll free, 1-800-680-7031. Email them at infoofficiallegal.com. Josh Jackson did announce he was transferring uh, to Maryland is his next destination. Will, you did put out a tweet, and because you did, I'm going to let you have the floor floor first. Your thoughts. I I quote tweeted it and said, ew, and that was pretty much all I said. Um, There's not a a whole lot of thought or analysis behind that. It is kind of weird how... A lot of uh, former tech recruits and and now a player are winding up at Maryland. Todd Capehart committed to Tech, wound up at Maryland. Josh Jackson played for Tech, is winding up at Maryland. Savoy, I, I, uh, Sean Savoy, same thing. I believe Tank Land originally committed to Tech, then committed to Maryland. Yeah, but he ended up and in then Liberty. wound up at Liberty. So it's it's <laughs> it's it's odd. Um, I, I don't I don't dislike Maryland as much as I dislike UNC, for example. Um, but it's just uh, – it's weird because uh, I like Josh and I want Josh to do well. Yeah. And I'm glad Virginia Tech doesn't have to play Maryland anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, when I look at the Maryland head coaching situation, this is a guy that won three games in his career at New Mexico. Mike Loxley. Uh, yeah, Mike Loxley. Former he, Alabama offensive coordinator. You're right. But he was a head coach. He's at, former lots of things. He's former yeah. lots of things, yeah. Uh, he's been – He's got he, a Chris Beatty quality to him where he just – Just goes around really a different school, really right. But when he was a head coach, man, and I know it was New Mexico, or was it New Mexico State? One of those One schools. of the two. But he won three games and How many years? Uh, four. Six or seven. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know, but it was – it was it was not a good era. We'll put it that way. So, uh, I I don't know that I don't know that he's going to be successful at Maryland. He was the coach at New Mexico, where he went two and twenty six in two years. Woo! So I was wrong. <laughs> they he dropped only him won like two a games. Hot rock, man. Man. Two years of that. He was, yeah. the, uh, he was hired in '09 and fired uh, in on September twenty. Well, it would have been two plus years. If yeah. he went well, to in so so did he coach twenty eight games? He was fired on September twenty fifth, two thousand one. So that got, means he would have to be like go in the middle of middle the season. season in the middle of his mm, right, mm. which normally doesn't happen. I, I think there may have been some other things surrounding his dismissal. I know at one point, like there was questions about like like there was a teenager like driving a car registered to him, and the kid wrecked it. And there was questions about whether the guy was a recruit or anything like that, uh, uh, or something like that. But I, I don't remember. At any rate, anyway, back to the yeah, topic. back to the topic. I, I think he's a guy who will recruit well for them, but there's no indication at all that he's anything but a bad head coach. Um, so it's an interesting choice by Josh. 
You know, I was interested but, to see if maybe there would be any interest from Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, giving his dad's tenure. And you know, there, there, all the, well, there wasn't this time around. I don't know what Michigan's quarterback situation that, is. That's, right I now, think Patterson's going to be a senior. It's just uh, I was curious. The, the, well, this is something that uh, we've never told you, I don't think. But uh, when Josh Jackson was a redshirt freshman and he was uh, competing for the starting job with Gerard Evans, no, or no, with uh, oh gosh, he was the backup who the JUCO AJ Bush. When he was uh, competing with A.J. Bush, competing with A.J. Bush, it wasn't much of a competition. But uh, Michigan wanted him, and because they had time, they didn't feel like they had a quarterback. And they, they sent out their information through the back channels and basically said, we don't have a quarterback, or, or it looks kind of bleak. You'd have to sit out a year by NCAA rules, of course, but uh, if you don't win the starting job at Tech and you're interested in coming up here, we got a spot for you, is what I always understood. And the rumor we heard is that Josh considered that seriously. Right. right. Considered yeah. transferring to if, if he hadn't won the starting job. Um, now, in retrospect, seeing Josh and seeing A.J. Bush, um, I can see why Josh felt that way. A.J. AJ went on to start for Illinois and play a few games for Illinois, but he wasn't as well-rounded a quarterback. No, no. He's much not, more a runner yeah. than he was a passer. And, and Josh is from Ann Arbor. He yeah. grew up in the Michigan program. You know, uh, so so yeah. At one time they were interested. I, I don't know if they were interested this time around though. Josh is just—he's a strange guy to think of because he's so threaded through recent lore. You know, with the the win over uh, WVU and the big win down at Florida State. He he played in some big wins for Virginia Tech, but um, you know, he, he considered going once before, and he's going this time. And it's just—it's kind of odd. I don't know how to feel about that. Continuing on our football discussion, we haven't really talked about, talked about it. Well, we've got a bunch more questions. Coming let's keep in. it going. Let's, okay. I think I think we keep the football going. We'll get to basketball here. Let's. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, where does Devin Hunter play in 2019, Man. and why not pick up a DB transfer? Both good questions from yeah. uh, Aaron Martin. Uh, I don't know where Devin's going to play. Um, I, I think I would be inclined to move him back to Rover personally. Just my thoughts. I, 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 don't, I think his mind's tying up his feet. I think so, too. And I don't think you want a guy with his mind tying up his feet on the wide side of the field. I'd rather have him on the short side of the field. I don't know that he's quick enough to play on the wide side of the field either. Uh, I, I've heard when they moved him to running back with the scout team that that experiment didn't go well. So I think defense is his future. Where does he play? I'd stick him at Rover or I'd try to put weight on him and move him, and move him to backer. Those those are the two things. Uh, those are to me. I would try him at both of those spots this spring, and then decide what's best after spring practice. And if they think maybe backer is the right spot, then then you try to put five to ten pounds of muscle on him in the off season over over the summer. Uh, those are my thoughts. Why not pick up a DB transfer? Well, they got a JUCO transfer, uh, Breon Murray. Uh, other than that, I'm not sure what, what's out there. I, I don't know if there's anybody any good out there. The portal is a mystery. The portal is a mystery. I don't know exactly who's in the portal. Um, and you got to be careful with, uh, with, with the whole transfer stuff because I still think Caleb Farley can be a really good player for Tech. He was not this past year, but he was, coming, he was a freshman coming off a torn ACL and he had never played defense before. Well, this coming year, he's going to be a sophomore, not coming off of torn ACL, and he has played defense before. And he's played in the ACC right. in a full season. Right, right. He, he's going to get better. Now, so you'd like to improve your quarterback play. 
but do, do you want to block his progress possibly? Uh, so it's and 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 is there anybody out there good? I mean, some positions. I mean, to me, it seems like there's like one good defensive end, Mike Dana, and he went to he went to Michigan. Uh, I, I don't think there's as much quality out there as like people think. I mean, players transfer for a reason, right? Because they're not playing. Because they're not winning the starting job while they right. Are. And and we and Virginia Tech, we want to be a good program here, right? And if you want to be like a top twenty program then generally you're not going to do that by taking guys who couldn't play elsewhere. So if you're a top 20 program, then you are in the top one-sixth of college football, numerically speaking. And, you, you, you know, you're not going to – I don't think taking a bunch of transfers is, is going gonna, is gonna to keep you there is the way to get there. And the other thing I think about, and, and I started thinking about this when they signed, what was it, four JUCOs on the defensive side of the ball? Yeah. Um, you know, you're working so hard to create a culture, and Virginia Tech is a unique place. And, and as guys leave and get plugged in, transfer out, transfer in, that's got to be hard to manage from a culture situation mm-hmm. unless you recruited that kid out of high school to begin with. Correct. But if, if you're going shopping in the portal, I mean, what do you really know about these right. kids? Yeah, you're you know? exactly right. you got limited time to do your research on them. I mean, you sign a guy who's a senior in high school these days, and that means you've been recruiting him for two to three years. You know – not everything about the kid, but you know a lot of things about the kid. Uh, so I, I think uh, I think for tech it is important. No, I'm not saying you can't saying you can't fill gaps and everything like that. But you know, if you want to take a transfer, I, I it's got to be a good player. And to me, I, just, I don't I haven't not heard the names of any good defensive backs. In my opinion, yeah, Mike Dana is a guy that defensive end out of uh, Central Michigan. Yes, that they, that they really wanted, and he he is a good player. But, right, you know, as Chris said, he's going to Michigan, right. which makes sense. I get it. And uh, Jason Tickle asks, is Quincy going to be the guy? At, um, well, I, I don't think you need to add any more. Is Quincy going to be the guy? Is Quincy going to be the guy? That's to be determined. Uh, I'm so yeah, I just lost my uh, feed. But anyway, uh, every you know. Everybody that we talk to that has either seen practice or talked to people who have seen practice, to a man, they say Quincy's, yeah, Quincy's a real deal. Right. I haven't heard anybody come to me and say, I don't know, man, I went to practice the other day and Quincy was throwing that thing all over the place <laughs> and, and in the dirt and over the heads, and he didn't, he didn't look like he knew what he was doing. I haven't heard that. Yeah. And, and, no, and nobody take that and edit that out, please. <laughs> Meaning don't, don't, don't clip out Will Stewart saying, you know, oh, I'm just joking. Gotcha. Um, everybody that sees practice or knows people that see practice say he's the real deal. So um, that's all we have to go on. That's, that's all we have to go on. Um, I, I think I think you'd still be limited to a certain extent from the passing game. But, you know, it's not like Ryan Willis has the whole playbook. I mean, that guy's a rising senior, and Fuente didn't give him the whole playbook this past year. And, you know, he – he was kind of very, very iffy on his decision-making in the read option and very iffy in his decision-making with RPOs. Um, and, you know, Gerard Evans, he didn't exactly have the whole offense either. I mean, that guy was a one-to-two read-and-go guy with a whole lot of read option. And uh, Virginia Tech's offense was really good, even though, even though Evans was somewhat limited in in how much off, how much of the offense he could run. Um Sometimes simple is better if you have a guy who can really execute what what you want to do. What you're trying to yeah, do. Well, yeah, right. So if you dial the passing game down, make it fairly simple, um, 
Now, you know, Virginia Tech didn't throw to the middle of the field a whole lot with Willis. So I think you want to be able to throw anywhere on the field, but make it a one to two read type of thing where it's not very complicated. And then run a whole bunch of read option with with Quincy Patterson. Make it the Gerard Evans offense from two years ago. Which, like, like you said, worked really well. I, would, I would like three or four years from now for Quincy to be able to make two and three reads, you know, before he makes a decision to run. But, yeah, if, if he's good at running the read option now and he can make one read, maybe two, like you said, that's what you had two years ago. The read option is, is what Virginia Tech lacked this past year. Uh, there were so many examples this year of, of Willis either keeping the ball when he should have handed it off or vice versa. And you go back and look and you're like, oh, my gosh, that could have been a big play. Yeah, when, when he, he hands it right off decision. and then he goes running around the end and there's nobody out there, that's when you're like, wow, he probably should have kept that Right. One. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, even, even an unsophisticated observer like me, is me. he really should have kept right. that Right. So, so that's a big portion of Virginia Tech's offense, the read option, and it wasn't executed at a, at a high level at all. I'm not even sure it was executed at a mediocre level this past year. He got better later. In he the got year. better later in the year, and he's a good athlete. So when he does make the right decision, man, it, it, it's, gonna, it's yeah. Yeah. but you know Quincy Patterson's a good athlete too, and if he makes the right decision on the read option more often, I think it makes Virginia Tech's offense better on the whole. See, Just my opinion. See, and Quincy's big enough that even if he makes the wrong decision, he could still he pick, could up pick up. Three yards, yards. Right? yeah, exactly. He's a brute, man. All right, so let me. We, we have talked about the, uh, the. We're trying to get more fan incorporated questions uh, in for a certain and, segment. And I don't know that I don't know that Quincy's going to be the starter. And I'm not. I want whoever is the best quarterback to be the starter. I don't think we answered that question particularly well. And it was: Is Quincy going to be the guy? I don't know. I don't know. But you can make arguments that he should be. And uh, I, I, I hope the best guy is the starter, but I think it's better for the future of the program if Quincy proves to be the best guy. I'll put it that way. So we should move on now. We'll, we'll spend five minutes on this, and then we will get to Tech Basketball Talk. However, I think this is probably a good point in the show to bring this part up, and probably this is the right week to do it. Taking a look at the off season now, we can do this segment in April after the spring game, but that's Tech going up against Tech. Couple months into the off season, we have seen the schedule, which is finalized. Give me what you think the record of Virginia Tech football should be in 2019 at this moment right now. I know it's iffy. I know that we don't know exactly starters, but you see the talent. What should the Hokies' record be next year? Well, they got two uh, FCS teams, so that's two wins. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got Duke at home, and and Duke loses that quarterback. Has he declared? Did he declare? Daniel know. Jones? Dan, did Daniel Jones declare? Uh, I, I'm some, pretty some sure. tells uh, me that he did. I'm pretty sure he declared, yeah. Um, um, yes, he did. That's funny. I'm sitting here looking at this year's basketball schedule and trying to read it as next year's football schedule. All right, let, let me announce this. Folks, we got to move on from football. No more football questions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, we could do this all day long, but we got to dedicate some time to basketball, too. So, and, uh, so I, I, th- I, I don't know. I say something like eight and four. Okay. I, I think, the, you know, it, it, and I say this all the time, it depends upon what form it takes. Right. Uh, but 8-4 and four is kind of um, the mark at which if you're below that, a lot of people really get upset. If you're above that, more and more people get happy. I think if you were to poll the fan base, the reasonable part of the fan base, um, I think they would be hoping for 8-4 and four and, you know, one or two more than that would be great. Yeah. Without getting into details about yes. breaking down every single game. We'll, we'll bring back the discussion maybe a couple weeks later in the podcast, but just something to be thinking about for your viewers back there. We'll bring this podcast, that portion of the podcast back. Let's step aside 
for a break. When we come back, we'll talk Virginia Tech men's basketball. We'll preview their games against Notre Dame and Duke, and we will look back at UVA. You're listening to the Tech Sideline Podcast, proudly presented by the Fisher Law Firm. If you have received a DUI or other traffic-related offense, the road ahead can seem uncertain. Here at Fisher Law Firm, we have a team that is with you every step of the way. We have the experience that comes along with having defended more than 30,000 criminal and traffic cases statewide and the expertise to get the job done. Call anytime, day or evening, for your free consultation or a complimentary copy of my book. Don't forget to ask us about our free appeal guarantee. To learn how we can help solve your problem, check us out at FisherLegal.com. This is Jonathan Fisher, Class of 98. Let's go Hokies. Welcome back aboard the Tech Sideline Podcast. Evan Hughes joined by Will Stewart and Chris Coleman. We are proudly presented by the Fisher Law Firm. Our thanks to Jonathan Fisher and friends for being a part of TechSideline.com. Transitioning from football to basketball, we could spend another 50 minutes talking about basketball because there is a lot going on in men's hoops. Kind of taking a a bird's eye view looking back the last week. They go on the road. They get a win against Pittsburgh. To quote Chris Coleman two weeks ago, he said with the upcoming stretch of Clemson, Georgia Tech, and Pitt, he expected 1-2. and two. He would be happy with 2-1, and one, and he would be ecstatic with 3-0. and oh. So I was happy. They went 2-1. and one. He's happy with it, and the Hokies are still in prime position in the ACC mm-hmm. right now. But this is where the schedule gets a little bit tougher. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to the Pittsburgh win. Nice win on the road. Kerry Blackshear Jr. dominates. And that was a good road win for Virginia Tech, I felt like. Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, you know, I know Pitt's not good this year. But, I mean, Virginia Tech has, doesn't have Justin Robinson in right now. And, and I think when you look at how Virginia Tech's six games have gone without Justin Robinson, it seems like Virginia Tech, they're either winning by six or eight or they're losing by six or eight. All their games, no matter who they're playing, are close. You know, with the exception of the NC State game, but I think we all know that was a that was a kind of a special that was a special performance by NC State. We'll put it that way. <laughs> um, so all all the games are basically by the same margin, win or lose. So I'm expecting every all these games down the stretch, with the exception of probably the Duke game, to to be single digits. Um, and I, just like the the previous games have been. So I'm happy with the way Tech has been playing. But right now without Robinson, you know, they don't have enough firepower to blow anybody away. So, you know, I think you can expect some drama down the stretch. I, I was really surprised at how competitive they were with Virginia. I thought I thought Virginia was going to run them out of the building. And before everybody says, oh, Castle Coliseum, Castle Coliseum, well, Virginia annihilated Tech in Castle Coliseum yes, last, last year. year. I think they led by close to 30 points. They won by 26. Game. It was over winter break. It, right, it, it was, was like um, 50 to 20 or something like that at one point. So, you know, it's it, with, with Tech and UVA, it's not a Castle versus JPJ kind of thing. Um, I, I, I have not gone back and rewatched that UVA game. But I did catch the first few minutes um, on the treadmill this morning. I finished watching one show and started that game. And man, the stuff was doing Tech was doing at the beginning of that game and getting open looks down inside. They outscored UVA something like I believe it was 38 to 16 in the paint. Mm-hmm. I mean, Tech was getting down inside. Now, of course, you ha ha. That's because they went three of 28 from the outside. Of course, you're gonna you know have more points in the paint. But um, I was just really impressed with Buzz's strategy. UVA adjusted, took some of that away, and Tech just couldn't hit the threes. I, I'll throw some numbers at you for the UVA game. All right, Virginia Tech made – I know everybody wants to talk about the three-point shooting, but there were enough good looks in there Well, I think most of us will agree that that was not a typical Virginia Tech shooting night, even without Justin Robinson out. And any other night – I mean, they, they could play that game 
100 more times and Virginia Tech's not going to go 3 of 28 again. That's just the type of players Virginia Tech has. Where Virginia Tech was so good, they were 20 of 30 from two-point range. And I forget the exact numbers, but I wrote it in an article uh, on Thursday. And I think UVA, for the season, ACC opponents shoot a 44 to 46% range uh, two-pointers against UVA. Tech shot 66.67%. Two-thirds, yeah. Two-thirds. Virginia Tech and Duke are the only teams to shoot above 50%. Inside, from, the inside the arc against UVA this year, and they both did it twice. Uh, Duke, Duke, uh, Duke actually was up to 64%, I think, in one of their wins over Virginia. But that's still not as good as what Virginia Tech did to them this past Monday. I mean, they carved Virginia apart inside the arc, and it was one of the reasons they, they got so many decent open three-point looks uh, was because what they were doing to UVA inside the three-point line. I thought – just from how the players executed the offense and considering who they were facing, that was one of the best offensive performances we've ever had. And But it's combined with the worst three-point shooting effort we've ever had under Buzz Williams. And, uh, and most of those shots, the thing is you could see it early. They weren't just missing. They were missing by a lot. Right. You know, it, yeah. they weren't barely rimming out or barely bouncing off the rim. We're talking stuff that was – backboard rim and out you yeah. know and, and and that's that was they they just seemed tight and they seemed like uh you know you know they uh like chris farley and tommy boy when he gets his little biscuit and he squeezes his biscuit too hard they got their open three-pointers and they squeezed him too hard you know and they that is a great analogy what a great <laughs> movie by the way um i want to talk about how the fact that I really felt like, looking back on it, there were two things that stood out to me in this game. One, and I think Buzz said it in the press conference, I thought Virginia Tech executed extremely well the game plan. The, the fact of the matter is they just did not hit the shots. You hit the shots, they win the game. Fair enough? They, they, I, I, they, I think that's fair, and it generally annoys me when – than when people just look at shooting percentage and say, oh, well, they, had, they shot the lights out and we didn't sh- shoot well and, and that was it. Well, generally, it's that way because they outplay you, right? right. Uh, in this case, I don't think that that was the case. I mean, Virginia Tech, they hung in there with re- and rebounding. They had more offensive they rebounds. Uh, they easily won the turnover battle. Second chance points, points off turnovers, all those peripherals that you look at. Uh, you know, I just I thought Virginia Tech executed their offense better than I thought UVA they executed did. their defense great. Virginia Tech played really good defense. And they had that trap at midcourt that forced a turnover at one point. Of course, yeah. Wilkins I, right before the half. You're right. There were a lot Bra- of Braxton Key, a 26% three-point shooter, Nell's two huge clutch three-pointers with you know with the shot clock winding down in the second half, and Virginia Tech's 40% three-point shooters can't hit the broad side of a barn uh, and most of them were at least decent looks yeah and the, and the other thing is too kyle guy's legit i mean there were times he was hitting threes with great defense and just he he and keep in mind there were a couple of lapses on deep but there were also some times yeah. on the wings where he just he hit some big he shots he was and he banked I, one in and another one like hit the top and just rolled around and everything but but i mean that's that's shooter's that's, touch that's well it's basketball Man, I, luck I, I mean i remember two years ago when a uva shot got stuck on the back of the rim in castle coliseum and, and you know <laughs> yeah so i mean I, I think i think basketball is one of those sports where it's kind of it's cyclical you know and baseball fans will know what i'm talking about here you know a guy can hit 220 the first three months of the season and everybody thinks he's awful and then he'll hit 390 the rest of the way and by the in the end he has a season which statistically 
Everybody expected him to have. Well, it's, it's and, the Kevin Costner speech in Bull Durham about the difference between hitting 250 and Yeah, 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 you're absolutely right. Yeah, the and seeing eye grounder, the blue, the blue fly I, ball that I, drops in. And I've always been of the belief that for every game you lose because you have an off-night shooting, you're going to win because some other team's going to have an off-night shooting. Virginia Tech beat NC State when they went 2 of 28 from three-point range. Well, the favor got returned against Virginia when Virginia Tech went – three of 28 you know for for every game you lose because you have a bad free throw shooting night well you're going to win one of those games because of the same reason before the season's over with uh so i think all 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 things being equal that's why they play over 30 basketball games that's why they play 162 baseball games right um it's it's not like football where the team that's just most the most physically talented is probably going to win Man, I would gladly trade that NC State win for a UVA win. I would, too. I think uh-huh. most people I would, would too. too. That, that would have been a lot of fun in Castle. Let me ask you something. Since Justin Robinson's injury, what's been the bigger storyline? Kerry Blackshear Jr.'s emergence, I feel like, of really taking on that lead score mentality, or the absence at times, especially against UVA, of Nikhil Alexander-Walker? What's the biggest storyline? I think people want to talk about Alexander-Walker. Because you know he's a guy that's going to get drafted and play in the NBA and all that, but I definitely, I to me, it's Blackshear. I mean, just uh, people talk about roles changing and Nikhil playing point guard. Yeah, he's playing point guard from the standpoint of he's bringing the ball up the court, he's dribbling the ball up the court, and then he's dribbling around outside the three point line until the 15 second mark when Virginia Tech starts to actually run their offense because they're trying to waste time. But as soon as he gets to that 15-second mark, he throws it to Kerry Blackshear, who then initiates the offense from the top of the key. Buzz said it, quote from Tech Talk Live, he, Kerry Blackshear, he's our point guard. Um, he's initiating the offense. Um, I, I think, and I think that's an accurate statement. And Buzz joked, he said, we've somehow got to find a way for, uh, for him to, to get the ball, pass it to himself, and then make a decision there on whether to shoot it or pass. You're right, ex- exactly, because the guy's doing everything for Virginia Tech right now. And, he, you know, he's a guy, he's playing on a foot and a half, I'll say, because he, on his left foot, you know, he never puts his heel down. That's It's just one of his issues. Uh, he's walked that way his entire life for whatever reason. Not a doctor. I don't know why. I don't know if it's fixable, any of that stuff. Uh Ronnie Adams asks, any chance KB plays next year? I assume he's talking about Kerry Blackshear. Yeah, you but, know, but they're, they're, somebody has said on our message board that they have seen a quote from Blackshear where he says he wants to come back next year and finish his graduate degree. Yeah, I mean, and he's a redshirt junior. He's not projected to go in the NBA draft or anything. Now, he could go and play in he Europe make, and make six figures. So, yeah, you could, you could do that. And it wouldn't shock me if more and more guys throughout the years started doing that as these salaries overseas continue to increase as basketball becomes a more globalized sport. Um, uh, but, yeah, I, I mean, the guy's a redshirt junior. So, I, uh, until I see somebody do it, leave early to go play in Europe, I'll believe he's coming back. Now, technically, C.J. Barksdale did it. But C.J. Barksdale just like, ah, I don't really want to play for Buzz. I'll just go to Europe and start making money instead. That was more of that deal. Yeah. Yeah. Different situation. Different situation. One thing I do like is that I think Virginia Tech fans are starting to appreciate Kerry Blackshear. Um, I've I've long thought that Blackshear's a, a really skilled big man and an asset. Oh, yeah. And the harping on the silly fouls was getting old with me. 
Um, stop harping on that. Yes, he does get himself in foul trouble here and there. He hasn't lately. But he would get himself in foul trouble here and there. Stop yapping about that and pay attention to what the guy does well. You know, but I see amongst the fan base, I see much more a much more complimentary attitude towards Blackshear. I think he's getting yeah. the respect he's long deserved. Right, and, uh, you know, I, I get it. Fans are quick to jump on the most recent things that happen. Like, I saw some fans on our boards today when, you know, Nikhil Alexander-Walker is a 75% free throw shooter, and they were like, man, I'm shocked considering what he's done his last two games. Well, we played 24 games before that, Yeah, you know, yeah. when he was a good free throw shooter. So the numbers are 75% for the year, but 65% in the last few games, right. I think, since Robinson's gone down. Right. Continue on Virginia Tech basketball talk here on the Tech Sideline Podcast. Evan Hughes will Stewart, Chris Coleman recording on February 21st. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I, I do want to keep uh, mention a little bit is someone who struggled – and that is Ahmed Hill since Justin Robinson mm-hmm. has gone down. And I saw a tweet, um, saw a tweet from I believe it was Henry Scott on Twitter saying that I believe he's somewhere around the range of five, like five of thirty-five since J. Rob's gone. Yeah, is I that a concern? I mean, the from way the, he, from the outside from three, correct from yeah, three, yeah, yeah. correct. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, Black, uh, Blackshear, Med is one of those guys who's always made three pointers in two different ways. Number one, off that inbounds play where he's crawling around to the corner and he catches it and he just goes shoots up immediately and shoots line. it. And he made – that was the one he made against UVA. In the UVA. corner, it's fading away. That right. Tough. And, and the other is when the offense is operating at a really fast pace and that ball is moving quickly everywhere. And when things slow down, he's not as good. And this type of offense does not suit his skill set. Um, it suits Blackshear. Uh, it suits Beatty. Probably doesn't. It doesn't suit Nikhil, and it does not suit Med for sure. So Med's kind of taking one for the team here. Uh, it's he's kind of like uh, he's like a wide receiver going to play Georgia Tech's Paul Johnson's offense, right? However, real quick, uh, when he gets in transition, it's yes. a whole, he is yeah. incredible. Well, 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 that's the thing, but we're not getting this in transition as much. You know, we're not looking to push the pace. I mean, you see what happens when Beatty gets the ball. I mean, he. He immediately looks to try to pass it to Alexander Walker instead of having his head up to try to get down the court and everything. And I don't know if that's because he's being told to do that or, or what. But I, I think Robinson's absence, it's, it's not just his absence. We're really missing half of Med. And we're missing half of Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Probably half of Ty Outlaw. And maybe half of Ty Outlaw because Robinson is Which out. Which multiplied Black through by 1.5. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that, that, that's true. Balances uh, out some of that. Balances out some of that. So, you know, it's it's not just missing Robinson. It, it's it's what the loss of Robinson does to everybody else. It, right. it, it, it takes away from their – from it's, it's made us get away from those players' strengths in, in, in some – in some instances. So a guy of my age remembers 1983 when NC State won the national championship. Best um, 30 for 30 ever. They had uh, you know, they had a good ball team that year. Derek Wittenberg got hurt early in the year, mm-hmm. and it changed. I wasn't astute enough, and frankly, not enough of their stuff was on TV. There wasn't enough sports commentary. But NC State had to play for weeks without one of their best players. And he came back, and they made that run to the national championship and there was a school of thought that while their best player arguably their best player was out that the other guys got better and when he came back he made them that much better 
So in my fantasy world, Virginia Tech is – the players are learning a lot about themselves. Buzz, what Buzz is doing with Kerry Blackshear, what if Justin Robinson comes back and is, and is in shape enough to play well, to play like you kind of expect J-Rob to play? And Buzz has that other tool in his toolbox now that he can either hit you with what he was doing before, J-Rob driving and the ball moving around, or he can come down and he can get you in that half-court set where he puts – Blackshear, you know, at the top of the key and runs that way. You know, in in your fantasy world, that's how it wake, that's how it breaks for Virginia Tech, and they're able to ride that to the Sweet Sixteen or Elite Eight or something yeah. like that. And it's tough for teams to scout as well because they haven't seen it combined uh, right, together. Correct. Yeah. So that first game when Robinson comes back, whoever it's against, you know, they're gonna. It's not gonna be announced. They're gonna see that he's warming up about an hour, an hour and a half before the game or whatever, and are going to be like, well, shoot. <laughs> what are they going to do? Are, are they going to keep running the Kerry Blackshear offense? Are they going to go back to the Justin Robinson offense? Or is it going to be something in between? And, and Buzz can make those decisions from possession to possession based on the defensive personnel that he's right. going up against. Yeah. yeah we, certainly interesting it's to cool think about. concept. Yeah. It would be neat if it works out that way. We've got a question. Well, we get more of a comment here from uh, Eric Carr. Buzz should start Cabongo at guard. Don't think Beattie is doing much, at least offensively as a starter. Uh, with regards to Cabongo, Buzz basically said on Tech Talk Live Monday night that he really knows one set right now. And from what I was told by somebody who saw practice before the season, that, uh, you know, without going into great detail here, Cabongo was really, really, really struggling to pick things up yeah. um, and really got left behind. For, from a mental standpoint, from, don't don't get too excited over what you see. You're right, it's, it's a small it's time. a small sample size yeah. over the yeah. So Buzz is, is is concerned that you know playing him more than the spot minutes would expose his weaknesses. Uh, I think he's athletic enough. I think he's a good enough shooter. I, I think his willingness to play hard is good enough. Um, he's got to catch up from. A basketball IQ, knowing the system standpoint, because you know Buzz basically said on on Tech Talk Live this week that uh, he only knows one set. That's not Buzz's exact quote, uh, but it's basically the gist of it. Uh, but I, I do like some of the things we've seen. I think there's material there to work with. I'm, I'm encouraged by the three pointers he's made. He and I think Buzz has also said this. He's not intimidated by the moment. You no, know, his he, and one he had it was one of the highlights of the game, I thought. I mean, people were going nuts when he hit that and one. And, yeah. and then he, he hits the free throw, no problem. Yeah. You know? So I don't think he's intimidated by the moment. So. And, and I also think about, too, if he wants to take a bongo, how about Isaiah Wilkins? Oh, Wilkins is – See, is, I'd, play, I'd play Wilkins more. I love uh, Wilkins. See, yeah, right. That, that's who I'd be playing more. Uh, and I think they have started to play him more recently. Only seven uh, minutes, though, against UV. Yeah, that, so that, that was interesting from that standpoint. I, I think against them – like a team like Virginia is so methodical, and they can make you pay for any little teeny tiny mistake that you make. We're talking about when Virginia's on offense, and uh, you know, say what you want about BD offensively, but he's not gonna. He's gonna. He's a big plus for you defensively. Um, he's a really good defensive player. Um, so I, I think you're worried about a freshman making a mental error and allowing the points that. Beatty would not allow. So, right, yeah. exactly. So, and if you if you knew you could count on Isaiah Wilkins for eight to ten points a game, then yeah, you play him more. But you know, there are some times where he he doesn't score. Right. Uh, now, what I will say 
about Wilkins is, you know, if I did a scouting report on Wilkins, it'd be real simple. Positives, knows how to play. Negatives, need need to lose needs to lose weight. That's yeah. pretty much it. The guy knows how to play. He's he's got that knack for just being in the right spot. And you see, you're starting to see it defensively now when he's just getting his hands on those steals and everything like right. that. Yeah, uh, end of the first half. Yeah, he's just a he's a, he. Well, like I said, he knows how to play. Um, that, that, that's the only way I can, I can really put it is he's so, got a so high basketball. Some IQ. guys have a knack for spacing and positioning, and I think he's got a knack for Yeah, that. I agree with that. And, he, and, he, and he's obviously a good shooter. Chris, t- tell Will your analogy that you gave of uh, Wilkins last week. I don't know. I forgot. About the gym? <laughs> oh, yeah. He's going to be that guy. You know, nothing about that guy is flashy, but when he's like 40 years old, he's from Winston-Salem. He's going to be in some YMCA in Winston-Salem. People are going to be like, man, look at that chubby dude. Don't pick him. I think you're going to go out there and school all of them because he's, he's got this old man's game. I'm telling I you, think. man, I played pickup ball with a guy just like that, built like that, who was a, skilled. All right, uh, who was a UVA point guard back that you played the pickup game against? Oh, that was John Crotty. Tell that story. <laughs> all right, so we might have to close the podcast with this story. So, <laughs> so I, 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 lived, I grew up in Charlottesville, and after graduation from Tech, I, I lived in Charlottesville for uh, seven years. And my buddies and I used to go down and play. Uh, um, there were some outdoor courts that may or may not still be there uh, near the university called the Dell, uh, oddly enough. Um, <clears throat> and, they had, you know, they had the usual three-court arrangement where when you first go through the fence, all the really good guys play on the first court. Then the mediocre guys like <laughs> me and my buddies play in the middle court. And the spazoids play down at the end. Court. Engineers play on the other yeah. court, except you were an engineer too. But, so. but the places, <laughs> the places, well, I played with guys who could play, and I knew how to get them the ball. Uh, the place was rarely full enough that the third court was used. So I was used to playing on the second court. Now, when you're me and you're, you're a middling basketball player and some of your buddies are halfway decent, like they played high school ball, the one thing you fear is, is winding up on the A court with the guys who can really play. They're, they're all four or five inches taller than you are, and they can really play. So we're down there at the end of one summer, and uh, my, buddy, my buddy Brian and I, who he was a pretty decent ball player, we had the next game on the A court. And... I was just looking at the talent and sweating it. And some dude comes in, uh, <clears throat> and I've already kind of given away the story. But some dude comes in, he comes in, and, and he starts uh, – he's, he's, he's a little six feet tall, maybe a little more, you know, blonde-haired guy, you know, uh, definitely from suburbia. And uh, he starts stretching and stuff, you know, and he's like all stretching. And my buddy Brian goes, think we ought to pick him up? And I'm like, I don't know, man. You know, I, I don't know. And uh, – so this guy continues stretching and, you know, you know all, this, all this stuff. And, and the, the game goes down to the under end of the court, and this dude finally decides to take some warm-up shots. And he stands up and he goes, dribbles the ball back and forth two steps and dunks it. <laughs> then I turned to my buddy Brian. I was like, yeah, let's pick him up. <laughs> <laughs> he was a true freshman John Crotty, you know, who went on to play however many years in the NBA. None of us knew I who he was. I guess it's UVA's all-time leading assist. Maybe you know I, like by that. by then I I I think we moved out of Charlottesville shortly thereafter. Did you guys so, win? You know I don't remember. What I remember I is me. I'd be safe bet. Me and Brian and Crotty and uh, another tall, slender post player whose name I can't remember. It wasn't Kent Needland. It, he wasn't a front line player, but he was he was a de- he wound up being a decent player for UVA, and he came in with Crotty and probably somebody else. I remember just running up and down the court with these guys and just going, wow. And I tell the story all the time. One of the things I tell people is I did score in that game. I had a follow. I had a follow, uh, followed up, got a rebound, and banked it in. 
And to get back to the, the concept of spacing and positioning, I remember we were in a fast break situation and I went to the spot in the fast break that was empty. And I filled in a hole and whoever took it to the basket for us missed it and I was right there to just grab it and bank it in. So yes, I once scored in the A court of the, the Dell with a, an NBA player. <laughs> That's awesome. There you have it. Our, our, uh, our story of the podcast right there. Uh, from Will Stewart, scored with uh, one of the UVA all-time greats. Um, let's do this. We've got, like, no time left. But real quick, Notre Dame and Duke, 60 seconds or less, your expectations for both games. I'd like to go one and one. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll take him back and do, like I said, uh, for that three-game stretch uh, where I'd be happy with two and one. Uh, I'd be happy with two and two to close off this season. I'd be ecstatic with three and one. Kind of expecting one and three. But, I mean, Virginia Tech can beat Notre Dame. They can beat Miami. Uh, we'll see. Like I said, Tech's games are so close these days, It's they're just kind of hard to predict. Okay. Well, what do you think? With Zion Williamson's injury last night, uh, they said it was a mild knee sprain. That's what they said. Um, we don't know if he's going to play Tuesday or not. Um, if he plays and is healthy, I, I don't like Tech's chances. But if Williamson doesn't play – you know, don't don't sleep on that one. I was really impressed with Tech against UVA, one of the better teams in the country. Mm-hmm. And you know, one of the things when you when you play a bunch of one and dunners, you know, they they never really quite learn your system. They're superior athletes and basketball players, but they never really quite learn your system. And if you're playing with older guys who really know how to play together, like Virginia Tech is, you can get them. I mean, that's what happened last year. Duke was you know up and down the roster superior to Virginia Tech. But that, that Duke team had some weaknesses as far as team defense and things like that. And it, it would not surprise me to see Tech be really competitive Tuesday night and maybe even win that game. And Marvin Bagley had nothing for Devin Wilson's defense. Uh, that was the highlight of last year. It was Wilson guarding a potential lottery pick and what he turned out to be I, I got a legit Bagley. question for you, Ken. Those guys defend Kerry Blackshear and what Virginia Tech does yeah, with him? All right, so real question. quick. So if, if Zion plays, Blackshear guards – Zion, correct? I guess. And then <laughs> I put PJ Horn. On just uh, honestly, I, I, I we need Blackshear's offense. Yeah. I'd have him guarding somebody else. That's my personal opinion. And I and I know that doesn't sound right, but if Blackshear gets two fouls guarding Zion, then we don't have any. Then chance. that sucks. Blackshear Blackshear <laughs> has to be on the court. So I would be inclined to use somebody else on Zion, but that's just me. Uh, Will, wrestling tomorrow, ACC regular season uh, championship on the line, Virginia Tech ranked 14th, NC State 10th. You'll be there. How excited are you for it? I'm excited for it. It uh, has lost a little bit of its luster because it's not for the ACC dual meet championship. Um, Whoever wins between Tech and NC State, UNC has to lose to Duke on the same night, which is not going to happen. Duke's really bad. So whoever wins will, will likely share the dual meet championship with UNC. So that's kind of a bummer. But uh, it should be a great matchup. Um, these are, you know, two of, the, two of the best squads in the ACC, and it's, it's a really even matchup. I go to WrestleStat, and I do the dual meet uh, predictor. And the dual meet predictor predicts 15 to 15, dead even. Uh, there are five weight classes where NC State's favored and five where Virginia Tech is favored. So I, I really want – people to come out for that and and make some noise and make it a good atmosphere um and i'm really looking forward to it seven o'clock friday castle coliseum one random student will get a thousand dollars in cash i saw it's a uh 
exit light theme, I believe. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I mean, it's a blackout. They're giving away 400 T-shirts. There's all kinds of promotions going on. You know, you have to go look at them on Hokiesports.com or Hokies Wrestling uh, Twitter to find out what they are. I don't know them off the top of my head. I'm going for the wrestling. I'm not going for the promotions. <laughs> um, and then a uh, quick shout-out quickly. Baseball, 4-0. and Big weekend. They beat Stetson. They beat Sam Houston State. They beat Manhattan. And they beat East Tennessee State. It seems like the last few years they had to score 10 runs to have a chance to win a game. And they could beat Stetson, who's a good team. Two, made, right? made super regionals last year. They beat Stetson 5 nothing, mm. And then two days later, Sam Houston State, who was in the super regionals two years ago, good program, beat them 3-2. Um, so their pitching is better this year. Uh, I think they've pitched 15 guys already. And that will probably narrow as, as, as the season goes on because I think they're still in kind of experimental mode with a few of those. But, it, uh, but I, to me, I think they have better pitching depth this year. And uh, so far it's looked like they've had better defense as well. Now, still not elite defense, but better. So I, I don't, I don't, I'm not afraid to say I think it's a much, much better team than it was last year. Yeah, I think they uh, won a game where they had three errors and the other team had none. So you know, pitching, that, that's yeah. not been the pattern, right? So, so uh, I'm 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 pleased with it so far, and I'm not saying that they're going to go to the NCAA tournament or anything like that. But I've seen definite progress. Lastly, softball nine and zero. We talked about at the beginning of the podcast. Keely Rochard, a sophomore from uh, the seven five seven. Two no hitters in the same weekend. Back to back, like a Saturday and a Sunday, right? Virginia Tech has not trailed more than once the entire year. They're a win away from tying the best start in program history. What a start for Pete Demore, Will. Angela Tencher stuff right there, man. It is. Uh, yes. Yeah, so uh, uh, I was thinking about Nolan Ryan there for a second, wondering <laughs> if he could throw back to back no hitters on two different days. But um, so, yeah, chance to uh, equal and beat the best start in team history. And uh, you know, it's just great to see these programs look in the early going like they're turned around and going in the other direction. Great start for softball. They'll be televised this weekend. If they can come out of that undefeated, South Florida's a good team. They've beaten Arizona, a top-10 team in the country this year. This will be a good test for them. And uh, sunny Florida right now where uh, it is not currently in Blacksburg. Uh, this might be the longest podcast of the year if you're still with us. Thanks what, for being it here. Uh, it is 80 minutes, hour 20. We're going to wrap it up there. Uh, check out great content on techsideline.com. Some great articles um, are there for you all to read. $84.99 is your annual price. $8.49 a month to join. And $29.99 is the student price to become a part of the Tech Sideline family. Uh, for Will Stewart, for Chris Coleman, I'm Evan Hughes. So long. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week right here on the Tech Sideline Podcast.